Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nomenclature. My name is Brandon. My guest today is Christina. You finally anything People else. With five kids still these days? That's great. I didn't do it on purpose. Let me crack this oh. beer really quick. Nice. It's, it's, uh, it's five kids in beer. Five kids in beer. Only two of them are here. So thank God. No, it's uh, <laughs> how it's old are your kids? Manageable. Oh, okay, let me take a deep breath here. So, uh, 16, 14, 12, 10, and 7. Oh, those, okay. They're like human beings. Yeah, they're, they're humans. like proper people. That's great. They are. They, um, so my wife and I, it's a second marriage for both of us. So, it's a combined family. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, hers are the 16 and 14 year old uh, uh, boys. And then I have uh, the 12, 10, and 7 girl, girl, boy, girl. Nice. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, we have a good time. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel uh, like I'm going to suffocate and die only once, you know, a day. Um, <laughs> you're in uh, New, York, New York City? Yes, Manhattan. How, uh, how are things going in the great state of New York? It, well, the city of New York, I can only speak to. Uh, things are going very well. Uh, the city is coming back to life because it's warmer. It's getting warm out finally. And so usually New York is always buzzing in the spring because everyone's so sick of the, the harsh winters. But this year is even more so because, boy, have we been cooped up with our own thoughts. True, true war torture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm really, really excited to see what kind of new mental illnesses come up in 20 years. From oh, yeah, this shit, um, because it's been ridiculous. Like, and yeah. I mean that only partially joking. Like, there's going to be some kind of like COVID, you know, paranoia or or some craziness that comes in you know a couple of decades that we learn and understand that mm -hmm. we're all gonna die from. Yeah, it. in addition to the neurological effects that COVID produces, that people are like, wait, what? You can't, you still can't smell after a year, like. <laughs> I know <laughs> a lot of neurological uh, side effects of this of this uh, illness, apparently. Well, and I, I read uh, or not read. I, I heard it feels like reading when I listen mm. to the radio. Um, I, I listened to NPR because I'm white and I uh, discovered um, just how hard it is not to be able to smell like it sucks. It pulls. Oh, yeah, that would really bum me out. Yeah, I love I, I always smell well smell is the strongest sense tied to memory and i feel like that's right. a real bummer to lose out on that absolutely um yeah i i have several uh memory smells that i can pull out uh at any given time do you have like a really strong memory smell yeah i have a bunch of them one of them is captain crunch makes me uh reminds me of my childhood neighbor's house that i was over a lot like I always, I'm like taken back to his kitchen whenever I smell Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch, Crunch berries or just plain Captain Crunch? Uh, plain Captain Crunch. All right. I, I do Thanks love Captain Crunch. <laughs> yeah, we got to be specific. There's a yeah. significant difference. Um, Captain Crunch rips the fuck out of the top of my mouth. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it. It's but good. It's you know, it really is. It's weird that for so long and still i guess we're just feeding our children sugar for for uh breakfast but uh boy i loved it oh i would get the giant popcorn bowl and fill it up and like half milk half cream like straight 
whipping Whoa. cream. Whoa. How's your stomach doing? Well, I had surgery for, um, uh, uh, you know, extreme hemorrhoids. Okay. From all that cream. In the last huh? year. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think it's directly tied to the cream. <laughs> okay. Specifically from my, my teenage years, but it is a thing. And I don't think I've ever admitted that uh, out loud at all. But uh, yeah, you might as well. Did you have to sit on a donut? No, but I swear to God, like I, I feel like I have a pretty strong, uh, a pretty high pain threshold. Okay. There is nothing for a man. The- that's saying a lot. <laughs> what are you trying to say? You're trying to say men are. From my of- experience, men's yeah. pain threshold is pretty not a lot. Like it's. Oh my not god, high. it's so low. Like when a man so gets low. the flu or gets sick, it's like, yeah. oh, I now have a child. Oh, absolutely. From my experience, you know, I'm not saying hashtag not all men, of course. <laughs> no, it's all men. Um, <laughs> well, you could say that. I can say that. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing I can say. No, the the, the my wife, uh, Falan, not not to uh, you know reveal too much. The the ungodly, like she had to like literally they had to put her like on her head and do some crazy shit forceps and like you know a rifle and a, you know a chimney sweep or i don't know yeah. what the hell happened but to get a baby out i mean oh right, right. yeah <laughs> and she's like yeah i don't know i mean it was how many it was has she had tough but it wasn't that bad. uh two okay that's yeah that's yeah yeah, and my my ex wife with our our second, um, he had a giant head. I don't know if that was a cause of anything or not, but um, she hemorrhaged and lost forty five percent of her body. Oh my goodness! Like, just graphic. Let's get into it. Terrible, yeah. but she she was very you know very nearly died. Obviously, right? Yeah, um, that's a lot of blood. That's bananas. And then you know. Dudes are like, oh no, I had a came in her. I'm him. You feel like I contributed. Um, yeah. But also, you know, we are a big, massive um, weaklings for sure. <laughs> like I do. And I will admit it. Like if I feel sick, I, I am done. Like my ex-wife, yeah. I remember she would be like pregnant. She had a terrible morning sickness and she would just She's a dental hygienist, which does not help, I would imagine, mm. looking at people's mm-hmm. disgusting mouths. And she would clean someone's teeth and in the middle of it be like, excuse me for a moment. She would go and wow. vomit, brush her teeth, come back. Like If that happened, I would be done. Like I would yeah. be done for weeks. Mm-hmm. Even if I felt better, I would be just done. Just get a new career. Yeah, just uh, let's just quit this one and start a new one. <laughs> I've already I, tainted it with my illness. I get my welfare checks, it'd be fine. <laughs> I would be absolutely done. Yeah. Women are amazing. Women are pretty amazing. And I, I, yeah, I'm always, I'm always impressed by when a woman gets pregnant, when a woman I know gets pregnant, I'm like, damn, you're just, wow. Good for you. Yeah. And then to do it again is even Yeah. Crazier. That's wild. Right. I have not heard about like an argument that's convincing me to have a kid yet. Uh, I'm like, yeah, cause I'm 33. <laughs> I'm not dating anybody, but, uh, no. you know, I'm always, I'm always open eared, you know, like I'm all ears with, you know, the stories all the parenting stories, just none of them sound appealing. There, it's except for the they're... love that you've never felt before. That whole part, yeah. that I imagine, is a you know pretty or a groundbreaking feeling. Yeah, the 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 level of love that is only experienced between parent and child, it is magical. Uh, I will not encourage you to have a child, uh, even mm-hmm. with the five. I 
I wouldn't, I, I don't re regret a single one of them. They're all fabulous and fantastic human beings. Yeah, yada, um, yada, 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 no. <laughs> yada, yada, mama. But um, I will say, and especially as an adopted child myself. Um, oh, you're adopted. I would see that's the one thing I, I do want to do is adopt because my mom was adopted. Oh, really? Yeah. I, and I know I, all about childhood trauma. So I feel like I'd be a really good parent to an adopted child. You would be. And any parent on that's moderately stable is a fantastic parent, yeah. to a child that needs to be adopted. And there are so many, if there's anything I feel monstrously guilty about in my life, uh, it is that I did not adopt. Hey, well, you don't have to feel guilty about that. So there you go. You're cured. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Guilt is such a pointless emotion. And I've been reading many, well, listening to many books on it lately <laughs> as somebody who feels a lot of guilt all the time and I'm yes. le uh, learning to release it. Oh my gosh. So much more fun when you don't feel guilt. It is fantastic. And I mostly don't have just like feelings in general, including guilt oh, wow. for anything, which is great at this point in my life. Um, yeah. But Guilt also makes some great music. Uh, oh, yeah. Great podcast. Great, great film and great pop culture is created out of guilt. Right. Again, is, which comes from a selfish place. You feel the guilt. I enjoy your art. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then they get the kudos for making the art, hopefully. Sure. You, you can get a, a Grammy, which we, everyone knows is very, very valuable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and things. Um, but but yeah, adopt adopt a child. You should. Yeah yeah Do I think that, yeah I I'm, I feel very uh, moved and pulled towards that notion of adopting. Um, just with yeah. my family history of it too. Yeah, it, you know, and it's it's funny. Everybody reacts to adoption differently. You know, my older brother is also adopted, and I've always been obsessed with it. Like, you know, I I just with the my, fact that you're adopted. Yeah, I always wanted to know everything. I was adopted when when I was very little. Um, were you told from the beginning? I was. I think I was like three. So oh, okay. very young. Yeah. Which my is mom great. Was when she was three. Yeah. Kudos to my parents for telling me. Mm -hmm. And uh, however, they were very, very guarded about everything. So I felt like I could never ask. Like I remember asking my mom one time when I was like 14, that she could tell me about my birth mom and she like broke down. Oh, bummer. And so I just never asked again. And I learned a lot of things later about why she reacted that way particularly. Oh, it, was the birth mom not a great story? Uh, no, it, it was, it's more that she, and this is like a year ago. I, I was at, oh, wow. maybe, maybe, no, it's more like two or three years ago. I was at my parents' house and I was going through like old photos in a box just for fun. Cause that's a thing that you do at your parents' house. And mm -hmm. I found this huge, like Sears photo of my sister uh, who's 10 years older than me and this biological little girl or adopted no adopt she's okay. biological uh, i'm not related to her though oh i see biological to my parents yeah and uh she's sitting next to this girl that i've never seen in my life before in this professional photo i'm like who is this person mm -hmm. and uh turns out it was a girl that they had fostered for like two and a half years this little girl and then they were going through the process of adopting her and her birth mother came and took her back. Oh, oh, that so had it was been like heartbreaking, crushing. But I had no idea, like no idea, my entire decades of life that that happened. And you know, I was like, hey, maybe if I had known that, I wouldn't have thought you were big raging assholes for not telling mm. me things about my. 
birth parents. Oh, later. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I, I learned a lot about my parents later in life where I'm like, God, you know, you could have told me that because that would have helped me a lot. <laughs> right. Because you just I, I just think that they're dicks. But now I, you know, I understand. <laughs> I understand yeah, yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. But so, and, so your I, mom- mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but I would think like when you're adopted, you obviously the, the first, the biological parents, uh, you know, couldn't take care of the baby for whatever reason, but these other people really wanted you specifically. Right. And that's kind of nice. Which is fantastic. And I love my parents. You know, I have, I have no ill will towards them at all. Um, and they, they did many, many, many things for me. And so I, uh, I appreciate them, uh, greatly. So, it's it's a funny thing. I think that's partly why I'm, you know, there's a couple things I'm obsessed with, comedy, uh, uh, music, and words, hence the mm-hmm. magical podcast that you're on right now. And I, I think part of that is honestly because of, uh, there's something about naming things and about attaching words to things and ideas and people. And like, for example, you know, my, my birth name that we're going to go and people that listen to this podcast are going to be like, shut the fuck up because I talk about <laughs> um, but my, my birth name was Ammon. My uh, name after I was adopted is Brandon, but my, that's my middle name. My first name is Robert. My, <laughs> hold on. We'll, we'll get there. My, uh, my adopted dad's first name is also Robert, which is why I go by Brandon. But then I also found out that I have a half brother who's also named Brandon by my mother. She did not know what my parents renamed me. Wow. My mom's, my birth mother's name is Carolyn, which is also the name of my mom's twin sister who died when they were like two of pneumonia. So there's all this, and there's, more and more and more but there's all this crazy stuff about naming things and like identifying things by what they're called right 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 that's always been very fascinating to me and yeah i've you know it's a i've heard a lot of stories about uh families and then you know when you meet somebody that you marry or you have a kid and they're the names there's all these parallels with the names um wild parallels i uh uh I found out through a 23andMe test that I was um, a sperm donor baby uh, about two years ago. Wowie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's just interesting too. Like (laughs) um, just the way uh, the emotions behind words and, and, you know, having this piece of knowledge that you didn't have before, even though you're technically the exact same person you were before you knew this and nothing, you know, the only thing that's changed is the, the awareness of it. And just like getting news. That's like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> that's not good or bad, but just like shocking. And well, I have you, uh, a lot of half siblings out there. Are you one of those that has like 50 siblings I'm up somewhere? To 32. Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's wild. And I have a very tiny family, ironically. Well, not, I guess, anymore. I don't know any of these people. I met the woman that was raised by the sperm donor, so his daughter that he raised. I met her at a drag con in New York City last year. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, but yeah, the other people I have not met and probably won't. But I was really curious because my whole life, my brother always told me I was the mailman's baby, my older brother, because he's like, you don't look like anybody in our family. And I would like we would all joke about it. 
and I never noticed my parents going, ah, mm, shit. So, yeah. but I remember I bought 23 me kits for everybody at Christmas one year. And, uh, again, I didn't notice their response or reaction to it, but then now it all, you know, looking back, Oh yeah, you were kind of weird about that. Huh? Okay. So, so did they wait until you found out to mm-hmm. like, yeah, but I, you know, I don't, if like what I said to you earlier about like, Oh, do you feel like more wanted? That's how I felt like, wow, yeah. you really went through a lot of hoops and yeah. paid a lot of money to get me on this planet. And so it doesn't change how I think about them at all. If anything, I have more empathy for them. And that's, that's great. You know, it's, it's hard, you know, having kids, conceiving kids, you know, yeah, that whole process, you know, being able to take care of a child, you know, my, my birth parents were, you know, 17 and 15 when I was. Oh, born. wow. Yeah. So, you know, obviously they, they made the choice that was best for me to mm-hmm. give me up for adoption or, or my mother did my, my birth father didn't know I existed till a year and a half ago. Oh, that's a fun DM. It's, it is fun. And he's, um, in 23 and me. Thank you very much. Holy also, shit. That's so funny. So he just found out he has a grown ass son, huh? A biological. Yeah. And I swear to God, we are twins like whoa really so alike which is so crazy to be a kid that your whole life you know you know you're not related to anyone to suddenly have someone that looks so aggressively like you like if if it was late enough at night and he you know i was passed out on the couch and he, he decided to like you know, take advantage of my wife somehow, she would think it was me. Like it's really wow, intense. Yeah, I thought a lot about that. <laughs> that was a dark place. I just went to, I'm sorry. No, I fuck it. Okay. I'm a stand up. You know, that's my <laughs> bread and butter. Um, so. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Cause when I looked up the name, cause I got a message from the woman, the, the his daughter, his like daughter that he raised, uh, saying all this. And I was like, uh, wait, what? You're on crack. Um, I looked up, she told me the name of the father and I looked him up and I do not look a damn thing like him. Really? Yeah. So I was like, I don't look like anybody. I'm a little alien. So I'm, I'm assuming, so your, your mom is your mom biologically. Right. She's my biological. Yeah, yeah. So it's just your, so it's your dad is not your biological dad. Obviously he's still your dad and we all know oh, that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. If anything, it made me like respect him more. Cause I'm like, I yes. can't imagine, you know, he's a man's man who's in the Navy and all that stuff. And I, I can't imagine what it must right. be like, you know, to know that another guy, like, I don't know if that, if that's a thing or not, but if it was, I would, could understand as much as I can from a woman's perspective. Um, and he obviously loved me and raised me like I was his biological kid. So, you know, right. lo- you know, family is beyond blood. <laughs> it really is. You know, I have two stepsons and I consider them my sons, just like my biological son, you know, there's, That's there's, yeah. or my biological daughters, there's, there's really no difference. I mean, it's complicated, yeah. but well, life know, is complicated, you know, for sure. And, you know, being a divorced person and, uh, you know, sharing custody with a, an ex complicates things in any right. way, shape or form. So, yeah, it, you know, it does go beyond, but the naming stuff, and we're going to get real massively nerdy on this. Um, but you Do did it. agree to come on the word show. So, yeah, yeah. but like, so there is a, uh, like a literary philosopher buckle up named Jacques Derrida, okay. who I, I believe it's him, uh, who said that there is, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my undergrad is showing by me talking <laughs> about this, but, uh, he said that there is nothing outside of the text. Okay. Meaning 
that we as human beings can't conceive of any idea that cannot be named mm. with language. Mm-hmm. And if you really sit with that and try to think about it, it, it'll trip you out a little bit, just like, you know, trying to think like uh, that the universe is infinite or something, right? Right. Or that time doesn't exist. Um, Which it's fake. It is technically fake. Right. So, you know, this idea, you know, when you were talking about, you know, names and how just knowing, you know, you know, just that slight difference in context or it's called something else. It's just a sound, you know, for me, Ammon versus Brandon, it's just sound, but uh, that's the way that we understand. So if it does change and you, you connect it to some sort of idea that's different than what you have done your entire life leading up to that point, it can be significant, you know, yeah, it, it's called something entirely different. If I was, uh, you know, my name would have been Ammon Conant, which is a manly ass fucking name. Wow. You know, Brandon Henderson. Brenda at that point. What, what's that? You just be named Brenda at that point. Right. Exactly. Um, so, you know, maybe I would have like, you know, I don't know, uh, you conquered something, you know, or <laughs> maybe I know I do know uh, I, I'm, all, I'm also I love the um, I love whenever I learn that there are feelings and sentiments in other languages that are, they do have words for that are not, I feel like the English language is kind of sucks because other (laughs) languages, they have all these types of words for various kinds of love, you know, like uh, romantic love or lust love, you know, just all of these phrases that really um, encapsulate a feeling much better than the English language can. And um, I'm also a big fan of the Don Miguel Ruiz wrote, wrote, the book called the four agreements and one of the agreements is being impeccable with your word and how much energy is around a word um which is true and i feel like that's the word i chose for this podcast episode um is something that i feel like is running rampant in society lately and and i'm absolutely guilty of it oh and that word is uh what christina it's hyperbolic thanks for asking (laughs) brandon (laughs) so is that why you chose hyperbolic as your your word? Is just because everybody genius means means nothing anymore, and words don't have any meaning? Or what, what was the the catalyst here? Well, I think I was I was uh, certainly guilty of using extreme languages when it language when it didn't the situation absolutely didn't warrant it, and I noticed that happens a lot in society and with younger generations of people and. Uh, it really does do a disservice to the actual dictionary definition of of a word. So um, once I learned that word, which was later in life, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good word. That's what really, I got to keep that in mind, uh, because especially with stand up comedy, uh, I is I not every stand up comedian is into this, but I'm really obsessed with word economy and not yeah. just mumbling on. And so I like stand ups. And I'm not this kind of stand up, but I want to be one day uh, where every word is on purpose. Every word is very meticulously put into the set. Um, I really like that. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to use the word as a selfishly as a reminder for me to calm down. Well, that's th- this is why I do the show with uh, comics almost exclusively yeah. is because uh, comics are psychotic people who are obsessive about a particular idea. That's very accurate, yeah. And a particular or particular words, and they will obsess over that idea or that word for you know, literally for years, maybe. And mm-hmm. I keep saying literally, and you'll you'll see why I'm going to be very mad at myself for continuing to do so. 
but because uh, that in and of itself is a, a hyperbolic word, but um, but I, I love it. This is why it's so interesting to talk uh, to comedians because they will think about it in a way that the normal human uh, will not. Yeah. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about this uh, about this word from its uh, etymology first, and we'll get into some other stuff. So uh, to continue on this vein of of nerdness. So 15th century word. It's been around for a minute. Uh, it's, it's based in Greek. There's some craziness about uh, the Greek alphabet and how we had to sort of convert it into English and use an E because a letter in the Greek alphabet didn't fit, blah, 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 who gives a shit. But 15th century. So it's been around for roughly 600 years, if my math is moderately correct. Wow, nice. And it, it means it, exaggeration, as we know, but literally, again, that fucking word literally. But that's, you're using it accurately, I believe. I, I think so. Means a throwing beyond. So chucking. Mm, oh, no, an overthrow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So chucking an idea beyond where it should be. Yeah. So there's, you know, we can break this down into obviously hyper. That makes some sense because mm -hmm. it's uh, the excess of an idea. And then the bowl or <laughs> hyperbole uh, is a throwing, a casting, a, the stroke of a missile, bolt, beam. That's the idea. So it's a hyper throw mm -hmm. is kind of its literal translation. Nice. Kind of its literal translation, which makes no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, um, one of the things that sort of came out as, as interesting is the word literally let's 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 do this this thing which i hate it so much and i, I clearly cannot help myself but use it um so it it sort of recently started to become its literal opposite of itself so people started using it as um as common, to, like it's commonplace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, to mean figuratively, right? right they would say right, literally, which is, yeah. which is the literal opposite. Again, literal, fuck me. I can't not use it. Well, the word exists because it's a word. Like, so, you know, yeah. you can use it correctly. Yeah, su supposedly. But so, <laughs> so you'll, you, you can even go to a dictionary now and it will say something to the effect of like, uh, to acknowledge that, you know, something is not, literally true but is used to em uh, for emphasis mm. or something uh, to express strong feelings so i can say it literally blew my mind obviously it did not right you didn't your head mind. didn't explode it's become a hyperbole which is again the antithesis of what literally is supposed to mean Right. Which is so, uh, yeah. And then when I hear people use, cause a lot of times when Corinne and I go on tour and a lot, a lot of times the audience is comprised of young women. And when they say, you know, we'll, we'll, we have a very interactive show and we're not doing stand up, we kind of talk to the audience and interrogate them a little bit. Yeah. And when a woman, a young woman, just like, I literally can't even, I'm like, Oh, come <laughs> on. I can't not call it out. <laughs> so what, what, uh, what do you say to them when they are getting real, real literal? I throw it in there for that. Like, literally, you can't. Like, literally, you can't because you just did it. So that's not the right use of the word. It, it's really, are, are we just bored beyond belief that we have to? I think it's laziness. 
I, I don't disagree. I, this is something I, I haven't thought enough about, but like, so it's, you know, hyperbole is an intensifier, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you, you say something to try to add sort of this aggressiveness or an intensity to an idea so that people get where your emotion is coming from. I, right. I, 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 I could have, I could have died. Right. You, you, you literally could not have died. Right. Um, but you say it so that people know it was a big deal, but at what point does it stop meaning anything? It's like my, you know, my kids will say, you know, that guy's a genius or that guy's legend or whatever the, you know, fucking yeah. Or even the word awesome. If you look Tr at what truly. that word actually means, half it's, the shit you say, 80% of the shit you say is awesome is in fact not. It's pretty mediocre, actually. <laughs> right. Well, and like awesome is like connected to deity. Right. You know, like I'm in awe of God and God's works or whatever. Right, right. And now we're just like, this burrito is awesome. <laughs> well, and I also think the fast pace of life, the, the, the increasingly fast pace of life does not a lot for taking a second to think before you speak. Yeah. Uh, which is something I have, uh, I'm trying to work on. Um, ever since I was a kid, my dad would always say, Christina, if you just took one more second before you <laughs> spoke, you'd, you'd say better stuff. And I'm like, nah, all right, well, <laughs> we'll see about that. But he was right. <laughs> and so when I don't speak so um, manically, which is my normal tone of speaking, I do come up with words that are better and more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, intentional speaking, I think. Right. And, and I, I love that idea. I love pulling back and thinking a little bit. I mean, it's why I feel like growing up, I always really connected with, uh, you know, the quote unquote greatest generation. You know, I feel like a lot of generations, they'll hate their parents, love their grandparents. Um, mm. And and I, I really always enjoyed like a like a World War II vet. I don't know, I don't oh, know why. Oh, yeah. Right? You've stories. Similarly? Yeah, they've got stories, right? I just and, love anybody with a story or an interesting experience that I don't know about. Yeah. And and I feel like if you'll you'll ask them about it, sometimes I feel like they were there's there's so few of them left, which is crazy. Um I felt I felt always felt like if you would take a second to ask them and really listen to the things they had to say, they would tell you more and then you would get like crazy, crazy stories about yeah. how they like, you know you know, stabbed a Nazi in the eyeball or something, which is always story. fun. It's a great yeah. story, but one loves a stabbing a Nazi. <laughs> don't they? Um, but I feel like that generation was more intentional and maybe it's just rose colored yeah. glasses or something, but more intentional no. about the way they spoke. I agree. Well, and you think of two of the, I have books that are um, a series of letters love letters written by, you know, men when they're in, at war overseas and writing right. letters to their wives or their girlfriends. And you look at that and then like I do a segment on my my Instagram call. I call it Fuckboy Friday, where people will send me screenshots <laughs> of these just atrocious. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic with that atrocious conversations with these guys on dating apps. And I'll do a theatrical yeah. reading of them. <laughs> and I always think of these letters that were written by, you know, <laughs> people serving in the military in the midst of a world war yeah, and how beautifully articulate they were about their feelings and how, you know, where's that now? 
It is um, hard to find, I would imagine. Yeah. That That is, you know, I, I feel like it's a matter of, it, it, it's time, that other construct that doesn't exist. Um, people taking the time to actually think, you know, in, in those days, you know, to write something on the cusp of death and then to fold it and to put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and mail it a hundred thousand miles away. You know, there's, there's something about that, that I think really matters. And my version of that, um, with my, my wife, for example, is, um, Bumble, (laughs) which is why I fell in love with her. Honestly, I fell in love with her before I met her. It was, uh, This is a magical, magical thing. Uh, buckle up for this wonderful story. But I'm so we, excited. I love love stories. <laughs> <laughs> we we met on on Bumble. We met also on Tinder, but we never talked on there because I don't know why. Because Tinder's disgusting. Yeah. But yeah. We we met on Bumble and we started uh, writing. And we would write. She would write me once a day, and I would write her once a day. Oh, and that's good boundaries too. It's good boundaries, but also I was so intimidated by her. She was. She's so aggressively smart and and witty and not not in the like you know patron there's no there's no patronizing at all she's just so fucking smart and funny and interesting and it feels like like when she writes stuff it feels like she's um i don't know she's like a new yorker columnist but interesting and funny wow i mean like you know yeah that's 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 well intellectual stimulation is uh, it, it can be a, the be- a great spine for a relationship. I mean, really, uh, yes. you know, your face is going to fade. Your tits are going to sag. Your balls aren't going to work forever. But your intellect and your mind, unless you have dementia, uh, will <laughs> remain intact. And so that to me is like long term partner uh, qualities. Yes. Absolutely. And this is why I was so immediately attracted to her is, that, you know, she would write these like like a treatise, like it would be wow. so long. But it would be so engaging and so interesting. And the reason why I only wrote her back once a day is because I was like, fuck, you gotta, I gotta it, spend it hurts six hours <laughs> yeah. to respond to her because this is so good. And I have to be witty and funny and respond to everything that she says and try to make comments. And, uh, you know, it was a couple of months before we met for the first time. Wow. What great foreplay. It was fantastic foreplay. Intellectual foreplay. I, yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, intellectual blue balls also. And, but we met once, we went for drinks, and then some crazy things happened in life. And then it was like a couple other, it was like three or four weeks after that before we went on another date. And so it was like, you know, wait. It was, it was. That's wonderful. Be patient. I, I, you know? Yes. Oh, patience is, oh, if you can, I finally am understanding the value of patience. And it is a way more pleasant life to live. I want to say uh, my buzzer might ring in like a minute or two, FYI, and I'll, I just have to go get it. It's a Shake Shack. Um, just I just <laughs> want to give you a heads up. <laughs> if there's anything that I will allow dead air for, it's <laughs> shake a Shake Shack, Shack delivery. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I have the power of editing tools. In oh, just in perfect. Case. I also I, I, I'm really interested in um, activists and I'm, I'm watching this. Netflix docu series called Amend. Oh my God! You really think you? 
Whew, I mean, God damn this country. But um, fascinating information that should be readily available in any public school, but it's not. Um, but, you, you know, they play a lot of um, Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches and yep. just speeches of these revolutionaries that led a movement. And they were able to, with their words, uh, Frederick Douglass was really the one responsible for freeing the slaves because he was the one who convinced Lincoln um, and and this, this beautiful grace and patience that he had that any other human being looking at that is like, I fucking freak, you know, and it, it, but he was so meticulous with his words, beautiful words that he used that I'm like, wow, they, I mean, words are some of the most powerful things we have as people. Wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that a white person took credit for something that a black person did? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's it's something that's been happening for whoo a long time. Really? Yeah, yeah. This is new. Yeah. Well, hey, welcome to twenty twenty one. Right, but you look at something something like that, like to your point, like Frederick Douglass. You know, letters that he wrote to Lincoln, obviously meeting with Lincoln and, and you know, pressing the ideas of it. I, I can't even begin to imagine uh, the level of patience it would have required to to make that happen and continue that conversation and not just like, you know, going with an Uzi. I know those didn't exist at the time, so that's right. nonsensical, but you, you get what I'm saying. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's and it's all the power of word because Lincoln ended up calling black leaders to the White House something I'm learning from this web series or this uh, docuseries. I'm like, how the fuck did I not know that? God damn it. Uh, To basically suggest that black people should go to South America. And Frederick Douglass was like, what? No, like, but he said it way more beautifully than I did. (laughs) And but enough that you know, it changed the course of history and he taught himself to read illegally while he was a slave. I mean, it's just, and, and you look at these, the, these powerful notions uh, that people have accomplished and, and, and searched for on their own, like their just spirit was that strong and they got their, their, they were in this paddle boat, but their oar was their words. Right. Wild. Yeah. It, it, it is wild. And I, I think that that's, I mean, that is where genius comes from. That's where yeah. these like epic feats come from. That's how we landed on the moon. That's how we did all the things that we've done. And that is why uh, music fucking sucks now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You yeah. Know, and I will fight everyone. You know, I'm not saying that there's nothing, there's no diamond in the rough. There are, there are things that are Well, you got to weed through some poop to get there. That's right. But Literally I will have say- to weed through shit. <laughs> This is the first generation where when old people say, I don't understand the words and it it just sounds like noise, they're right for the first time. But yeah, <laughs> the first time in their lives, they first are first time because they're just on like um, pro tools, just like making weird sounds and they're not putting any effort into any shit. And the words I always think of words to songs when I listen to you know, what's the music, what's you know, the new new music that's coming out. I'm like, ugh, these sentiments. Are disgusting. They're disgusting. They're redundant. They're like you know, I'm gonna live forever kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like stuff. Hey, girl, I think I want to marry you. Oh, okay, thanks. Okay, cool. Wow, very romantic. Jeez, you're so passionate. Can't know. So I have a question for you. Since you do 
such fantastic, um, you know, podcast stuff and tour all the time. And you hear people saying literally all the time, I, and you chose the word hyperbolic. Mm. I, I, I would love to hear whether it's from you personally or from things that you've read, like you said, from, um, you know, these, these, these people trying to pick up women, uh, with their oh, magical, right, magical right. words. What are some of the most like hyperbolic bullshit things that, that you've heard from well, a lot from of men. them have come from my mouth. Uh, and be because, <laughs> though, I've gone on this deep dive, especially over quarantine, uh, just, you know, sitting with myself. Um, I didn't understand that I experienced childhood trauma as a kid. And so yeah. I had all of these parts of facets of my personality or way behaviors that would just kind of pop up out of nowhere that I felt a lot of guilt about, a lot of shame and a lot of confusion about. And once I really started to uncover all the layers of myself and why I felt the way I did and why I noticed that I spoke in extremes because I didn't understand how I felt. So I would just, you know, if I was sad, I was the saddest girl in the world. Like I, it, right. and it was hyperbolic, but really I wasn't, I wasn't using the language correctly because I didn't know how I felt. But once I uncovered that layer and I was able to actually, you know, kind of speak do do a little bit of justice to how I feel versus what I say. It just feels so much better. So that that's more on me. Uh, I'm a, I love self improvement. I'm kind of a you know a junkie for it. So you feel like your your language is more intentional yes, now, exactly. kind of thing. Yes, very intentional, and more I specific. really appreciate and notice that quality in others. I I uh, I also experienced some childhood uh, things. Yeah. that uh, I don't recommend to anyone. And I feel no. like my, my version of that was always expecting the worst. Mm -hmm. It's always, you know, my, my thought process was if I, I expect the most horrific thing to happen, if mm -hmm. anything below that happens, that's positive. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That so your sense. bar was super low. Yes. Bar so, 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 so low. And it, which, you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really encourage uh, you know, a very positive outlook or very positive, you know, life. Yeah. You know I, mean? I would think. Yeah. Um, so, so I would assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, if, if you're in this place where like intentional thinking and intentional conversation and intentional words are m more valuable to you today, that, you know, when you go, when you go on tour and you have people standing up in the crowd or you have people sending you stuff that they were sent on Tinder or whatever, um, that is so uh, aggressively um, false and full of bullshit. Mm -hmm. That's gotta. I mean, what's your reaction? Is it is it more anger? Is it more just like uh, I, I understand more, or what it's is it? It's funnier to me because I now I can see I pulled the curtain back on it by doing this deep dive. So it's like I see the Wizard of Oz and he's just a scared man in a shitty chair. Like yeah. I, 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 and it's it, it allows me to for sure be quicker on stage funnier on stage um and i kind of see people's bullshit right away because i can ca now catch my own bullshit before it comes out of my mouth well not always but you know uh, yeah. i'm better at it yeah no and i i i get that i i think um i think being able to like you know allow yourself to say what you actually think can also um, maybe freeing. give you the gift. It's it's very freeing, but also maybe give you the gift of seeing when people 
aren't allowing themselves to say what they actually think. Yep. Yeah, I can. I'm, I, I mean, I'm not a licensed therapist, but boy, I could do <laughs> fake therapy on you real quick and get oh, somewhere man. pretty soon. <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. And you, uh, uh, you, you, I don't know. I would have to give you too much money for that therapy, I think. <laughs> That's uh, me and therapists. Um, I have had many, many over the course of my life career. And uh, I, I think of maybe two that I didn't hate with mm. a, an aggressive passion. Mm. Are you a therapist person? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, therapy. I love therapy. Uh, I work with a, a woman now. For, I guess I've been working with her maybe two years. She's a trauma specialist. And yes. um, at do first, you do I didn't yoga. Look... Hmm? Do you do yoga? I lift weights. Nice. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, deadlift squat, squat rack kind of gal. Oh, man. Um, but I love yoga, too. Yoga is great. But I, I lift weights and I rollerblade. That's my favorite. Those are my favorite exercise activities. But um, uh, yeah, this woman was great. I had a therapist before her who was retiring and I was very bitter. So I like entered therapy with my current therapist, like hating her. I'm like, you're going to have to really prove to me that you're, you're as good as Orna. So, <laughs> but she did. Um, yeah. And she's very, one of the things that she does that no other person has really done with me is when we start our session, she'll just stare at me. And at first I was so uncomfortable with silences that I would just start talking and it really fucked me up in pitch meetings <laughs> when you're like pitching a TV show to NBC and you're like comedy partners, like shut the fuck up, you know, gives you that look and you're like, what, what do you mean? Like uh, dead air is bad air. No, it's not. So yeah, she's taught me to <laughs> be comfortable with silence. That's good. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, well, first of all, I asked uh, yoga because, um, when I was really doing trauma therapy, they had like a yoga studio in the, um, their offices. So I like nice. do, I would do therapy and then I would go yoga it up. Yeah. And I, it was honestly, I w at first I was like, this is bullshit, you know, but it was really, really helpful actually. Oh yeah. It's an ancient art for a reason. I mean, it is because yeah. the breathing, the breathing connects you to your body and, and allows you to ground yourself. I meditate every single day. I quarantine had me, uh, finally, uh, being able to implement this. I meditate every day, sometimes multiple times a day, and it is uh, a game changer. That's fantastic. And, and that silence thing is, uh, you know, she, you know, your therapist may be a sadist, but Maybe. she may also be just really fantastic. And uh, I think there is something about being able to like sit with yourself and, you know, not have thoughts constantly. And, and again, this goes back to like having to constantly talk and not actually think through a thought and sit with your feelings and not be afraid of, uh, you know, a feeling that's maybe uncomfortable. Right. And it's like a tie. It'll go, it'll go away. Feelings are never right. permanent ever. Yeah. And to know that, to be like, Oh no, cause that's the thing with, you know, this is going to bum everyone out this part, this, Let's do this it. part okay. of it. But, but that that's part of it is like, um, you know, uh, for a long time I was, I was very afraid to like have certain feelings because I would be afraid that I would like, uh, explode like yeah, literally yep. explode or you know you if know, I go down this hard. this this yeah this route I will yeah. go to the sink to the bottom of the well and never come out right exactly and and I still feel that to be quite honest yeah, but okay. you know there's there, there's more than I've, I've sort of allowed to sort of like feel you know sort of feel yeah. it out and realize that I'm not going to die if I feel it out it'll suck for a minute maybe yeah 
but I can feel it out. And then I can pull back and, uh, you know, Hey, I'm still, I'm still around. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't explode. Yeah. Good. All feelings are, are reactions to thoughts, to your own thoughts or to others thoughts, but that's, that's all a feeling is. So, and, but the ones that are like, um, they're here to talk about a word that's used too much, uh, triggered <laughs> yeah. a psychological trigger is, uh, an important thing to understand, um, and it's a very valuable uh, concept to grasp as uh, if, if you've experienced trauma, which is 90% of the population. And right. um, uh, when it's a trigger and you're reacting to something uh, terrible that's not happening in the present moment, but it feels you're like, I swear to God, this is happening right now, even though it's not. Once you can understand that part, you, that's when you're free from your own jail, I feel. Yeah, you you almost have to like go through it to realize that it, you can handle it. It's like I remember being a kid. I was at a camp. I'm from Alberta, Canada, so there's lots of camps. It's basically all camps uh, okay. in Canada, nice. and there was this zip line that went over a lake. I was at the you know, and I had all these friends. They were going across the zip line. They're having a great time, and I was so terrified to go across it because I'm I'm a wuss, and. I, I finally did it just because I, you know, people were making fun of me and I didn't want to, and I did it and, and I, it was not in any way, shape or form scary. And I remember getting to the other side and I was like, man, I wish I had done this 30 times already because mm -hmm. it was easy and not scary and it was fun. And uh, I'm not saying that the Trump stuff is going to be fun at any point, but I almost feel like you just, you just have to do it. You have to like, you know, it's almost like getting off of heroin. You have to go through uh -huh. the shit to get better. I read one of the books that I read said something to the effect that when you really want to understand yourself and peel back your layers, if you're someone who's experienced childhood trauma, you're going to have to go to the desert and die and come back. And, right. and I, I was so glad I read that, like metaphorically die, obviously, but I, I was glad I read that because I needed a heads up on how hard it was going to be. And, and, um, just the wailing, crying, and and just the throwing things by myself at home, and going, "What am I? I'm a monster!" And you know, having that beyond a temper tantrum, my God, um, it, it was very, very valuable. And just you know, when you're drooling all over yourself, and you just crawl up on the floor in the fetal position, you really, and you do it enough times, and you allow yourself to be really comfortable to go there, you can eventually find humor in it, which is right. That's what saved my life. Right. And, you know, it makes makes you think about the, you know, you know, innumerable amount of people that weren't able to get to that space, you know, yeah. that uh, hit the wall and, you know, ended it or, or whatever happened. And the people uh, who stormed the Capitol, I would say it's very uh, safe to assume that their childhoods were not good. Yeah. Like uh, we see walking billboards of childhood trauma everywhere. Oh man, he's fucking. I, I, that is maybe it's one of the hardest things for me to try to like conceptualize is the person that's you know that had the wherewithal to storm the Capitol and thought that they were fully justified. I think that's why it's so fucking hard and scary for people is because like I don't understand. It's so hard for me to understand that one. And simultaneously, I feel like I, cause I thought about this a lot and I watched that unfold live on television. I couldn't sleep the night before. Cause I was like, something's going to happen. And yep. obviously there were signs totally. that it was going to happen anyway. Everyone's like, Hey, this is going to happen. And you know, it did. But, um, 
I think that their life draft or their uh, their perceived life, uh, you know, safety net is clinging so hard to this belief that was, you know, just chiseled into them by their parents because you or some an authority figure of some type who instilled fear and would say something to the fact that you will die if you don't fight for your country and fighting for your country in that sense meant preserving the white race without actually saying that and then also right. um uh just not trusting anybody and, and operating from this place of fear yeah well it, it's it's religious level zealousness yeah it's yeah. just and i you know and i get that i was raised very religious and I oh get bummer well, yeah, was it a bad, was it one that fucked you up or one that didn't fuck you up? Oh, yeah, no, it super fucked me up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, mega big time. But, you know, it, it's so complicated. You know, my parents are still very, very religious and I love ah, them. And I, yeah. I know that they love me, but they did it within a context that was so damaging, you know? Yeah, yeah. I so, think religion, uh, I did not grow up religious. I feel very hashtag blessed for that. Yeah, but, yeah. uh, that because that allowed me to formulate my own thoughts. I was traumatized by other shit, but it's so interesting to me how much religion fucks people up because you're born into this world and then either your pastor or your parents through the religion or the you, you go to church and you repeat these things about I am a sin, I am sinning, I am fucked up, I need to apologize for being here. Sex, sex is the devil. Like you're you, I mean, my God, the the yeah. the way religion has tainted a human being's view of themselves and their sexuality. Excuse me. That's my shake shack. I'm sorry. No problem. Go get it. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm back. No worries. You were, uh, now that, uh, your delicious shake shack is here and we'll, we'll wrap, <laughs> we'll wrap this up soon because <laughs> okay. you don't want that shit cold. Oh my God. Um, yeah. 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 But, uh, you were saying things about, uh, uh, religion and, uh, yeah. ruining sexuality. Human beings. Yeah. yeah really disservice, big disservice. And I'm like, wow, it's uh, ironic that the point of religion is to help you lead, guide you to leading a more fulfilling and better life. And yet yeah. it has turned into um, just a shit show. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was raised Mormon. Oh, to boy. make it even more aggressive. Woo! And if we're going to talk about, you know, sexuality, you've got, you know, um, uh, Elizabeth Smart, Right. Uh -huh. For example, and she's been, uh, I think, a fantastic advocate for, um, for you know, people that have been abused and and talking about you know being open about sexuality and things. And she, uh, and this is top of mind, I, I think, just because I think my wife and I talked about it recently. But she had talked about how when she was a kid, and I remember hearing this as a kid because we, we were I'm older than her for sure, but you know we're. Close and, similarities close in your background. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she was told as a, as a child that, um, uh, that if you have sex before marriage, it's like, it's like being, uh, an already chewed piece of gum. Yeah. Right. That yeah, yeah, fun, yeah. fantastic metaphor. Uh -huh. So who would, who would want to pick up an already chewed piece of gum and put it in their mouth? Right. right. And which is really ultimately is what kept her, uh, where she was for so long, you know, she, you know, there, there's, I know that people have talked about like, why didn't you just leave? Um, I understand, you know, cause she was 14, I believe. And yeah, potentially well, Stockholm syndrome, right? Like, oh, the, I mean, that's a sure. freaking thing. And if you think about even the notion that, 
um, not giving children the correct anatomical names for their body parts, like calling a vagina a butterfly is all that that thing that is perceivably, you know, a minor detail is teaching children that we're going to give you a nickname for this part of your body because I'm not comfortable telling you what the real name is. You'll find that out later on. And you're going to start building the shame around that part of part of your body, no matter how confident you are. And then you look at what a religion will say to a child about their body. You know, you suppress any part of the human soul. It's going to come up. It's going to get, it's going to, it's going to explode in some form, whether it's the person's life or a mass shoot or whatever. Like you, people can't hide parts of themselves that will never end well. And I just like Catholicism. I mean, really I've not, religion's got a bad, bad rap for a reason. I've not heard many positive stories about, about religions. No. And, and this is, you know, this is what's so hard about, um, you know, I have, like I said, I have, you know, three biological kids and I share custody with my ex-wife who is a Mormon. And so I've I've got these young kids who, you know, half the time are being taught that idea. And then the other half, I, I, you know, my wife and I are so, you know, very, very open. I, and, uh, I'm sure it's confusing as hell. For yeah. Them, oh, that's got to be rough having two different philosophies to parent the kids. Oh, but it's, it's also <laughs> I'm also like, well, one's right and one's wrong. Like, you're right. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it just let a human being exist and discover yes. their bodies and, you know, teach them about a be appropriate and inappropriate. But in a way that just really is there's no room for shame because then that's a control. Fear is is the is the biggest weapon to control anybody. And uh, boy, oh boy, like a re- the Mormon religion, the Catholic religion, it's just like, oh my God, your tactics are showing. It's like, they're, you're right. How do you not understand what you're doing to yourself and to your family? Yeah. And it, there's such massive long-term consequences. I mean, to the point, like I was talking about my wife today, the, the Mormon church and the Catholic church are telling their members uh, not to get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine because they use stem cells, right? I'm like, for the love of God, shut the fuck up. Literally for the love of God. (laughs) Literally for the love of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, you're you're, you're having people risk their lives over some crazy pretend idea that you have. Or go to war over it, yeah. Right, but it's it's a thing, man. People, you know, whether it's the Capitol or it's the Crusades. Yeah. And you really, it's like, I always think about... um, I always think about how I affect others and how, like, if I, if I want to make a point to a specific person in my life, usually I would come from a place of like, how do I want to make you feel it's this way? Okay. I identify that. And then I go, what's the path to get there? What words do I use? What tactics do I use? But when somebody is so hell bent on, um, on, on clinging to the life raft of the religious beliefs, and they are under the understanding that if these are debunked, I will crumble and die, which, I mean, religion is traumatizing. Religion is childhood trauma in all the extreme forums are all traumatic. So yeah, I mean, you'll never get like, how do you get through to a person? I don't, I mean, whew. Yeah, there's a, there's a massive amount of deconstruction that has to happen before they will hear what you're saying. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's so hard is like, you can't <laughs> just go up and be like, hey, you know, you, you can't even put proof in front of their face. 
and be right. like, here it is. You've got to spend like years of, uh, again, that deconstruction to get them to nothing and then build it back up yeah. with, you know, reason and logic or whatever. And I'm sure every religious person finds this incredibly patronizing, but go fuck yourself. Well, no, um, because you know what? Religion, uh, the point of, <laughs> there are <laughs> religion could be such a beautiful asset to life and, 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 and truly should, i do be believe such it a, can be a church could be such an integral part of a community a, mm -hmm. a church can feed the homeless to have uh yes. you know plays have be like this life blood of a community and that's why it pisses me off so much because i'm like you guys you're taking this idea that could be great and you're just making it really suck and you're yep. making people's lives worse because you don't want to look at yourself so yep. it's laziness to me too like laziness control money power no and, and i agree and i you know i truly do believe that there are incredible people within the confines of a religion yeah i also think that there are incredibly terrible people uh in and the good people should speak religion. up a little louder uh against yes. the bad people because it's like hey it's got a bad rep for a reason and if you are a devout catholic and you don't say you you will not talk about the molesting the boys for hundreds of years then yes. are you really a devout catholic do you really give a shit about what you're claiming to give a shit about because i don't i think you think you want to be right and you don't want to go into anything that's complicated or messy yeah this this ridiculous idea that if you admit to faults everything is going to crumble is so exhausting and it has a, to yeah. it has to end just fucking say what happened like it, yeah it, nobody is nobody thinks that uh just because you haven't admitted to it that thousands of priests haven't raped a bunch of kids yeah like yeah, just because yeah. you're not admitting be a bumper it, sticker yeah that's right uh it's happened regardless of what you say going forward we all know so maybe just admit it and try to rectify and fix it instead of you know sweeping under the rug giraffe and put your and if you really want to save your soul like that if you think about that concept of saving your right. soul it's part of that is uh being honest about your actions and the actions of others that you've witnessed repentance baby yeah yeah i'm like these ideas they had you know i get where they're coming from they just fucked it up <laughs> yes yeah i i agree which is you know a little just straight up uh, human nature, I suppose. For sure. Uh, and with that, thank you, Christina, for taking <laughs> the you. time uh, to come on uh, the podcast and, and chat about uh, whatever the hell we just talked about for the last hour. Yeah. Oh, the, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you.